You are listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Octavio Fernandez y Mostajo. And my name is Claire Perini. And welcome back to the Regent College Podcast. Friends, you um, are about to listen in on a conversation which we have decided is will be medicinal for your soul, potentially. A medicinal, a medicinal conversation. conversation with Tish Harrison Warren. So Tish, if you haven't come across her before in any of her writing, although lots of people may have, is a priest in the Anglican Church in North America. She's the author of a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary, Sacred Practices in Everyday Life, which was Christianity Today's 2018 book of the year. So lots of people have probably read that. Um, mm. And then her latest book called Prayer in the Night, for those who work or watch or weep, which came out in January. And Tish has sort of worked all over with InterVarsity. Uh, she writes for Christianity Today and, and different other magazines and um, the New York Times and different other publications. And she's a pastor and a priest and an author and a mum and <laughs> a wife and a friend and uh, is, is just a great person to have a conversation with. Overall, a lovely person. You can't not person. love her. So we had all sorts of conversations about <laughs> yeah. um, grief and uh, not just about grief. That was toward the end. But talking about kind of holiness and kind of specific holiness in what that looks like for our us in our kind of very everyday particular kind of lives. Um, how do we sort of trust God when we know bad things happen? Um, what does that look like? And it was just a... It's just a really lovely, joyful, medicinal conversation. Yeah. We keep using the mm-hmm. word medicinal. Uh, I mean, you, you would have to you, know, you have to listen to the podcast to know why we're using the word. But yeah, we basically uh, talked about his both of her really celebrated books. Uh, people are loving her books. I, 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 w- I would strongly recommend for you to listen until the end of the podcast. Uh, we, we asked her a question that turned out to be just, you know, little droplets so of and, oh, and a droplet of, drop uh, of a mic. And a drop of a mic, yeah. And not just gold, but of a mic. And and that might really, really, really be important for for a lot of people listening to the podcast. May I say mm-hmm. a lifesaver. A soul saver. So I, I would strongly, strongly recommend for you to listen to the whole podcast and wait for the end. Because you you're just going to enjoy it's it. It's going to be great. Fact. That is so a fact. So go for a walk. Cook your dinner, do whatever you're doing whenever you listen to the Regent College podcast, and enjoy our conversation with Tish Harrison Warren. Tish, welcome to the Regent College podcast. It's so great to have you. I'm so glad to be with you guys. <laughs> we're uh, we're looking forward to it. I'm a big Regent fan. We're big. We're big. Oh, that's a good. That's good news, Um, because we're big Tish fans. So we can just have like a mutual fan club kind of situation going (laughs) on here. Great. This is exactly what we're after. So we. So we're going to talk uh, about both of your books. Um, And we were joking before we started that you're not. You're not feeling great, and today. But you. We're so grateful that you're willing to join us. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, that's the warning for your listeners is I had my second dose of COVID vaccine, which I still highly recommend, even though it may, but it gave me a fever. So I, I think this is my first podcast where I have a slight fever. <laughs> well, I'm so glad to be your first podcast that you've had a slight fever. I might not actually currently have a slight fever, but I have for about the past 24 hours, but it's still worth it because I'm now 
highly that my percentage of immunity to COVID is very high. So I'm going to be able to get back to my life. life. I'm going to I know. see unvaccinated friends and hug people. And yeah, oh, man, that's going to be a great thing. So we, yeah. so one of you, one, one of the things we're going to be talking about is your book called Liturgy of the Ordinary. And we were talking about, I mean, there's got to be like, is there anything sacred about being sick? You yeah. know, about having a tummy bug, about, you know, yeah. just having a low-grade fever. So we thought we'd start there because we, so we yeah, were about to start there. talking about let's it and we were like, with. no, 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 stop, don't, don't say it now, let's wait till we're recording. So tell us, what is what is sacramental about being yeah. sick and having a low-grade fever or having a tummy bug? Yeah, so I, this is actually not in Liturgy of the Ordinary, although it overlaps, but in Prayer in the Night I have a whole chapter on mm-hmm. sickness. And I, yeah. I talk about the long tradition in the church of understanding sickness as a as a place of uh, almost as salvific as a place of of sanctification at least a place of refining mm. Mm. a place that reveals our physical limits but that in revealing our physical limits it reveals our our what our hearts our insides I mean honestly mm. I'm going to be very honest and vulnerable here on this. Uh, podcast but I was journaling this morning because when I got I with the fever etc and I didn't sleep very well last night so I was physically mm-hmm. weak and what came up was just like grumpiness and mm-hmm. like it wasn't kindness and gentleness that mm-hmm. I'll say that <laughs> wasn't your first response. <laughs> so so even being around my kids this morning I was like man you know this reveals like when my when my when my rational conscious will is mm-hmm. is kind of shut down yeah. or diminished because of my physical body mm-hmm. what's really in my heart tends to sort of spill out and it's not mm-hmm. it's often it's it's a, it's pretty dark and it's pr- mm. it's it's pretty it's uh-huh. just kind of like bile like darkness kind of yeah so the but i but that's not this has been like widely written about in in mm. um in the uh um in in the tradition, I, I think um, uh, I quote I think Jeremy Taylor in the book talking about kind of the the gift of sickness that it it um, and and I quote uh, Scott Cairns who talks about mm. um, he he goes to this um, monastery and that he writes about a lot and he um, meets this old monk dying of cancer and the monk says to him, uh, paradise will be full of men and women whose cancer saved their lives. Mm. Meaning, Mm. um, Mm. that through this experience of physical weakness, you begin to see yourself more honestly and truthfully and Mm. not automatically, but sort of by grace and, and, and the spirit, um, that can become kind of a place of allowing yourself to be loved, allowing yourself to be weak, allowing yourself to mm. be transformed by God. Cairns talks about how his father always had a really hot temper and that in, mm. in the last years of his life, as he had a long battle with cancer, he became much more prayerful, much more gentle. And so I asked the question in the book, so if can't, if, if, if this is true of things like cancer, 
can it be true of things like stomach bugs, right? Yeah, like, can it be right. true of things like like low-grade fevers from the COVID shot? That, um, In other words, I think it's easy for us to kind of wait for a Christian life to start in the big stuff, like, yep. like mm-hmm. the cancer diagnosis. Mm-hmm. But we have lots of practices before we get there. I mean, so yep. many small experiences of sickness and weakness and tiredness mm-hmm. that could push us to God in our ordinary life. Um, mm-hmm. and, and can, in other words, we, I don't think you have to wait for the cancer diagnosis for sickness to have, uh, yeah. to be a place where you can meet God. And, yeah. um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I quote in the book in this chapter, actually St. Isaac, the Syrian says, blessed is the man who knows his own weakness. Mm-hmm. And, um, having a low-grade fever overnight with an infant will be as part of the revelation of my own weakness. So <laughs> according to St. Isaac yeah. the Syrian, this, was, this is part of my own blessedness. Right. It's not right. necessarily the blessedness that I would have, like, picked this morning, but yeah. that's, that's where we are. But yeah. blessedness, yes. That doesn't mean you have to be happy about it. No, totally. Yeah. Yeah, it's really hard to to take those things in because, you know, you get interrupted because, baby, you are, you got plans, you got stuff to do, you <laughs> right. got and, and not only plans for I want to be rich, plans for like you know I I need to, I I plans for church for ministry for for helping people and all of a sudden Making I'm sick breakfast. and I'm like oh <laughs> yep. yeah and and now I'm Having sick and now I have this and, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and th- that's really frustrating for for I think the worldview of many 21st century people. You know, it's do and accomplish and conquer, and all of a sudden, boom, you're weak and you get sick, and then it's really frustrating. And, and not just the feeling Absolutely. of oh, I feel so bad, but this is trunk truncating my dream. Even the dreams God gave me It's like, what's uh, what's up with this guy? Mm-hmm. Like, this was your your things, and now now I'm being stopped. It's like, what's up with that? And I think besides the pain, it's just frustration from from being slowed down and, and yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think, so Wendell Berry has, uh, I quote this in Liturgy of the Ordinary, but he says the great, the next great division in the world will be those who um, want to, or choose to live as human beings. No, I'm sorry. Those who choose to live as creatures and those who want to live as machines. Mm. Um Mm-hmm. And, uh, and what he means is what you're talking about. I do think we have a higher level of control of of our life in ways than mm-hmm. we've ever had in human history, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, cr- like we had a cold f- front blow in today. I knew that was going to happen, right? Because we have mm-hmm. weather radar and we have, you know, and mm-hmm. so like the ability to know what the weather's going to be next week, the ability to um, to make plans and predictions and if you have enough privilege, um, that a lot of those happen, right? Mm-hmm. You can you can sort of be self-actualizing in a way that we right. haven't seen mm-hmm. before. And yet we're still there's still so much we don't control. I mean, we're yeah. still just unavoidably creatures. Yeah, and so totally. hitting our physical limits through things like sickness or weariness. Mm-hmm. is a chief way that we encounter that, um, mm-hmm. especially in such a Gnostic kind of world where we often can ignore our bodies or don't 
uh, we don't, Mm -hmm. not many of us, unless you're like a firefighter or something, not many of us are like constantly sort of pressing up against our, Mm. our physical limits. And so having kind of hitting them, um, Mm. is this, is this real training and being a creature. And, Mm. um, I'm, I've said this elsewhere, I'm sort of on record on this, but I actually think one of the chief gifts the church has to give people now is teaching, reteaching people that it's okay to live as a creature, that it's okay, yeah. that, it, that mm. we, um, that there is just a lot that we still don't control about our, our lives. And I mean, this, you know, COVID's been interesting with this because um, mm. it's made us all sort of collectively confront our mortality totally. and our limits mm-hmm. in ways that um, were just really, I mean, unthinkable a few years ago. But one of the things that's been interesting yeah. is it's, and I'm talking to people in, in Canada, so this is a different thing, but, mm-hmm. you know, I looked at, for this book, the statistics of people who go to work even when they're very sick, who go to work even with fevers, that mm. sort of thing. And mm. um, it's because it's typically because there's not adequate sick leave. There's not yeah. adequate. Um, so we essentially have like whole sis- HR systems in place, yeah. particularly for those mm-hmm. that are po- sort of poorest in America that does not allow humans to have bodies that get sick, which is just, that's insane, right? Because humans do have bodies that get sick. So COVID has had to, it's sort of revealed, because people, uh, I mean, some of these spreads were at the beginning were people going to work even when they were sick. And so it revealed that the real Mm -hmm. need, the public health need to let people have Mm -hmm. bodies, to yeah. let people let people be limited, mm. yeah. let people get sick, like let people be tired. Mm. Yes, like, yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's- but we we have a whole kind of life built around go go go, and there's I mean the five hour energy shots you buy, you know, like totally. candy in the in the it's literally in, I don't know in 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 grocery stores here it's like literally next to the candy is like these five hour energy shots so in the the store so you can just get on your way out and i'm just think man this is um and and we can work all the time because of we carry it with us in our smartphones and it it, there's something just really disembodied about our lives and this isn't new like everyone's like yes 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 there's Mm. this talked about all the time uh but i think we're encountering the fallout of that in in covid tide in a way that we haven't yeah yeah and it's sort of I feel like it's sort of like so much of the stuff that you're writing about is this whole idea of then in our specificity and our limitedness what does holiness look like you know like that holiness is actually specifically tailored to us in some senses in so yes in the limitedness but then also in our kind of our own particularities of of life and experience and, and all of those kinds of things. So can I read a little quote from your book and then we can just chat yeah. about that, mm-hmm. about yeah. the sort of specificity um, of, of holiness and, and the practice of holiness. Yes, so absolutely. here's what you say. Christian holiness is not a free-floating goodness removed from the world a few feet above the ground. It's specific, in some sense, tailored to who we particularly are. We grow in holiness in the honing of our particular vocation. We can't be holy in the abstract. Instead, we become a holy blacksmith 
or a holy mother or a holy physician or a holy systems analyst. Let's talk about that, the kind of this idea of Christian holiness being kind of like specific to us being creatures, yes, but also kind of who we are and yeah, yeah. Talk about. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So, um, thanks. Not many people have asked about this, and it's actually something I'm interested in. I, th- I think that this goes two ways. So I'm going to start. I, 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 I talk about this in the context of um, the idea of vocational holiness. That yeah, that we cultivate holiness through a, the living of particular vocations in our lives. Mm, yeah. Um. And so, I mean, the main point I'm sort of making there is that holiness is this very contextual kind of thing. And so um, vocations form us in different ways, kind of towards different ends. Here's an example of what I mean. So what I here, I'm not trying to be a relativist. I'm not saying, you know, if whatever. (laughs) If you're a physician, it's fine to cheat on your wife. And if you're not, you know, if you're work at a drugstore, you shouldn't. I mean, that obviously there's some clear sort of boundaries of what is loving and what is Mm. not. Um, Mm. But what I do mean is that there is a way that um, I'm going to use. So I I know a person who is um, who is a cardiologist and um and does a lot of really intense kind of heart surgeries lots of emergency stuff and so there uh he has to he cultivates an urgent so um in some ways there's a holy impatience i mean Patience is a virtue, but in yeah. the sense that the, he needs a sense of urgency he can't sort of be like all right like Whenever you get around to it, nurse, bring me this. You right? Mm. Like the, mm. he has mm. to walk into a room, take complete command of the room, and right. he has to say what we need, and and it needs to be immediate, right? And so there, so mm. there's this sense of in demandingness that is like absolutely essential to save a life at that moment. Now, if mm. he mm. took that same sense of demandingness home to his wife as she was making him dinner, or to his kids mm. as they were reading or or uh i didn't mean to be so gender stereotypical there maybe he's making his wife dinner but um <laughs> but uh it would be completely inappropriate right right so it's not mm. that he's it's not it's that the actual context of the vocation requires a different kind of virtue Right. Right. He needs decisiveness and courage and urgency in one minute and and has to actually learn to be able to take that off and and have a kind of Mm -hmm. patient, um, unhurried mellowness in another situation. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's also more than that. I mean, I think I think that we. yeah, I mean, I could I could go on and on about this. I think I think there's ways that um, the context we grew up. Okay, I grew up in the South as a woman, um, and so uh, you're taught uh, often to sort of um, uh, erase yourself, to apologize for, for things that aren't even necessarily wrong with you or or your mm. fault just a, mm. it's kind of a funny stereotype that 
and I bring this up in my book actually, is that I, I mm-hmm. like apologize. All the, I mean, seriously, I bumped into inanimate objects and apologized to them. Like, so I like him. You did well in Canada, actually. There's yeah. A bit of that oh that goes my on in Canada goodness. Too, yeah? It's true. Go. We went, it was so, okay, this is a side note, but we went to, uh, we were staying at a Canadian hotel, a hotel in Canada, and they, there was only kind of one breakfast tray and everybody had to come and like get their eggs and stuff from it. So everyone had to sort of take the, decide it was their turn to take the spoon. And it was, we were laughing because it was just, sorry, 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 sorry. It was like over and over again. Anyway, yes, exactly. I would fit in in Canada. So, um, so there's a way that I'm saying that for a long time, I, I, I wrote about this actually in a, in a piece, but that, I confused avoiding pride and avoiding power. So I, I confused mm. seeking humility with sort of like um, mm-hmm. uh, just just um, not uh, speaking up or not taking risk or not not yeah. writing or not putting myself out there and and, uh, and so so growing in holiness for someone like that might look like actually. It, it might be somebody else's vanity is what I'm saying. Like it, yeah, it, yeah. It, it might look like actually stepping up and speaking um, or getting attention or not erasing yourself in ways that other folks who kind of have, who are, who grow up with a swagger or grow up with a sense of power mm-hmm. might need to, to shrink back um, in, mm. in other ways. So this is why actually spiritual directors are really helpful because Obviously, there is virtue. There's virtue and there's vice, and that's and that's true kind of across the board for all of us. So I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to erase those lines, but I am trying to say that sometimes we're called to speak and sometimes we're called to be silent, and totally. sometimes we're called to be in a hurry and sometimes we're called to be patient. Sometimes we're mm-hmm. called to be really prophetic, mm-hmm. and sometimes we're called to um, yeah. live quiet lives, yeah. uh, work with our hands, and um, and and be kind of in the background, right? Mm, and mm-hmm. um, yeah. and so we can't yeah. we can't sort of take our own the our the own our own cutting edge of how God is growing us, and then judge sort of all humanity by that. Um, totally. Because yeah. I think, um, yeah, yeah. The, there are, there are uh, um, things that I need to sort of grow in as a writer. Are actually sometimes really different than what I need to grow in as, a, as let's say, a mother or a pastor. Yeah. So, yeah, right. um, totally. Yes. Well, it's kind of like you could have like slothfulness or patience, you know, like you right. can kind of like, like <clears throat> so th- those two things might look kind of the same, like in terms of outwardly, but actually the inward part of that is like slothfulness is not good, patience is good, you know, like that kind of like there's, yeah, as you say, in some situations it's going to look. And certain situations are going to require different things. Anyway, Octavio, sorry, what were you going to say? I've seen this with artists, for example, at church. There's some leaders at church, and I've seen it firsthand, where where they don't understand why a person would like to be in front of people calling attention and and acting and making people laugh and, 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 and communicating with people. For them, that was clearly something that had to do with pride, something that had to do with with your heart wanting the attention, with you wanting to feel powerful. That, that's, how, that's how they understood it because they couldn't understand 
what an artist wanted to do, like what he felt and what he, how he wanted to communicate. But like like you were saying, that that holiness, uh, if 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 there's a context a context of your vocation, then then that's freeing for so many people. Mm-hmm. Like artists, yeah, and I also think there's just there's this concept um, in kind of uh, in the virtues that uh, that every virtue actually has two opposites instead of one, and so right. the yeah. the virtue of courage, for instance, on one hand you have cowardice, that's an opposite. But you could also have foolhardiness, mm. right? That right. that yeah. that is actually mm. the, uh, that is the opposite of courage as well. Even though it might mm. look much more risky, but it, it's foolish, right? Or right. there's um that is sloth is a good example. Mm. Or, or mm. Uh, I guess the virtue would be like um uh I don't know, diligence, right? But yeah. on one yeah. hand you have sloth, but on the other hand you have workaholism. Which is yeah, also not right. not diligence, mm-hmm. right. and so right. um, so uh, you so I'm saying that this is partly why we need so much help with community. <laughs> is that yeah. is that in 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 pursuing our particular vocation, there's usually not just kind of one way to kind of quote unquote like fall off the horse. There's usually more than one, and so it takes all this discernment of what does it actually mean to cultivate real virtue. Mm. In our particular mm-hmm. context, in our particular personality, um, in the ways that God is particularly growing us in a given mm. season of our life, you know, which right. might look really, mm. really different season to season as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, totally. yeah, there's a, there's a, I mean, contentment, for instance, is a virtue, but aren't we grateful that like Martin Luther King Jr. didn't just say, okay, contentment's a virtue, so I shouldn't complain. Right, like there, yeah, because totally. prophetic, the calling out of yeah. injustice is also a virtue, right? And right. Uh, and so, um, I think uh, that's partly what I mean of the context deeply matters in our understanding yeah. of holiness. Uh, yeah. So I think yeah. in our minds, most of us have, I do, have this kind of holy imagination, holy idea of who, of what holiness looks like, and it, this looks different for different people, you know. But it could be like. Mm-hmm. A, a monk, you know, quietly praying all day long. For me, that would be it. Yeah. It would be this sort of like monastic <laughs> withdrawal from the world, quietly right. praying all day long. Well, if that's my idea of holiness, it's actually going to help make me less likely to love my children, to yeah. be able to meet Jesus in the mm-hmm. chaos and noise of my life. Because my life looks nothing like a monk's. I mean, no. I have, you know, I have three kids and I'm a working mom. And so I... I need to know that like what holiness would might look like for a 65 year old hermetic monk is actually, Mm -hmm. if if I seek that as my only picture of holiness, it's actually going to make me less likely to pursue the actual virtues that I need to live the life in front of me. So, yeah, yeah. And that's really what your yeah. book kind of like is kind of like mapping all of that out, these kind of everyday sacred practices for just like living the living the everyday life that doesn't look like the monk. Kind right. of. 
right. situation, which most yeah. of us aren't. Um, but he's, so here's a yeah. question for you. So that book is just kind of paints this such beautiful picture. A friend of mine was reading it and she'd send me like voice notes. She'd be like, hey, listen to this bit. And she'd like read chunks of text to me. <laughs> so, I, so I feel like I've got, like, I've got her it. voice and your voice kind of in my mind. <laughs> I Completed. love that too. <laughs> yeah. But so okay, cool. so you, you kind of paint this beautiful picture of all these kind of everyday things. But is there a practice that just feels least sacramental to you you know oh like you kind of <laughs> what feels the least sacramental to you yes yeah. what's so at the top of the list of the things that i tell people that's very disappointing to people actually um is that i almost always write out of what i struggle with not what i'm mm. the expert on and so yeah um partly because I'm not quite sure what I would, I guess I would come the expert on it through writing the book. Cause then everybody asks you to talk about it in the next six years. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, um, so no, I wrote this book cause I completely struggle with everyday life and that didn't yeah. go away the second I wrote the book. So, no. um, there are, so I'm like, Oh my goodness. So much. So where should much. I start? <laughs> yeah. Where should I start? I, you know, it's funny. And I also, so I, one of the places is still, and I talk about this in the book, is my struggle with um, email. Like anything yeah. um, involving screens and task is still something that I'm just like, ugh. Like I just, <laughs> there's not, I, I just typically do not have, I'm not like, how can I meet Jesus in this task yeah. today? Um, it's not, not your first thought. thought. It's yeah. not. Although writing the book is it's becoming that way. I do, yeah. I do pray, like, you know, make me an instrument yeah. of your peace. And mm. more often before things like email or, or social media than I would yeah. have maybe if I didn't write the book. But still not all the time. And it is funny. I'm just going to tell this because it's kind of childish. But because I, I wrote about making my bed, which is a great practice, I hate making my bed. I feel like when I, I feel like I <laughs> should like it. It's the easiest thing. I hate it. No, you, I know. You I know. don't have I to. It. You don't have to like. I mean, I have a whole chapter about how I, I didn't like <laughs> yeah. it. But I. <laughs> but after that, I cannot tell. You, I mean, hundreds. I I don't think I'm exaggerating here, of people, like, would text me, "Hey, I'm making my bed," or I'd get asked on. <laughs> On interviews, like, is your bed made right now? Like, or, and so so it just started feeling like the whole world was my mother, like, checking in (laughs) and seeing if I made the bed. So, honestly, after the book took off, there was probably a year and a half where I was like, I'm not doing it. I'm just not doing it. I'm not making the bed. And you, fair enough. I, I do now. I've returned to it. I can, I have photo evidence here beside me that I made the bed, but I, um, so I return to it essentially because I it is a for me a good practice of of embodiment at the beginning of the day and yeah. I and I have some silence just like in the book. But there was probably 2 years or so that I let it go out of sheer rebellion, out of sheer like yeah. like um, I don't know if rebellion's the right word, but of just like like the liturgy of the ordinary did so well that you know, once people like in Spain are texting you or emailing you <laughs> asking about making your bed. You're like, no, you're like, you know, I'm what? done. <laughs> yeah. My world, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't need to know. And I'm going to, I want to be able to say no to that. Question. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> no, that makes like an act of no for you. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah.
Sorry for interrupting your podcast, but Claire Perini has something really, really important that she wants to share with you. For the last number of weeks and months, you will have had a little interruption from Octavio and I with me trying to say rgnt.net forward slash give. And the reason for that is um, that we love hearing from people who are enjoying and appreciating the podcast. We love hearing that. And we love hearing that you enjoy it so much that you want to give Regent a little bit of a donation to say thanks. And so this is an invitation to continue doing that or to do that for the first time uh, to allow us to continue to keep having these really good conversations with people all over the world about all sorts of things, about the good, beautiful kingdom of God and how it plays itself out in the life of everyday Christians. So if you would like to give a donation to Regent College to say thanks for the podcast, Octavian and I would be delighted. You can do that at rgnt.net forward slash give. And please, if you'd leave a donation, uh, write in the comment box over there that the podcast sent you. Enjoy, Enjoy the, the rest, rest of, of our conversation. conversation. Yeah, hey, hey, so, so we definitely have to, I know we're, we're running out of time, <laughs> and we definitely have to talk about your, your, your recent book. And, and people that have read uh, Liturgy of the Ordinary know we can talk about that book. For four uh, for four other podcasts, like it's it's a really good book, and we could talk about uh, about it all day. But I, w- I want to ask you about your new book, Prayer in the Night, for those who work or watch or weep. Uh, and, and I'm going to start, you know, kind of with a complicated question. And you and you would have to tell me where do you land in the spectrum uh, of this sentence. The sentence goes: God promised to protect His sons and daughters. A always. B, most of the time. C, seldom. D, never. Where do you land in this spectrum of God's protection? Oh my goodness. Um, gosh, I I don't know if I saw this question ahead of time. I might have panicked. Uh, but I. Um, gosh, it's such a complicated question. Um. Uh. Because it all depends on how you define protection. Um, mm. <laughs> That's what I told Claire when I when she read the question. <laughs> <laughs> promise, Jesus promises to be with us all the time, to yeah. meet us, and mm-hmm. um, Jesus promises to um, that all things are working for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Uh, but I don't. I. I would be really hesitant to say always because we've been, because while I think, I think, I do think in an eternal sense that's true. There's nothing that can happen to us outside of the will of, of God and, mm. or at least the allowing, the passive will of God, the allowance yeah. of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, um, and God can take, I say this over and over again, but God, in the book, but, God can take kind of the raw material of a lot of darkness and brokenness. I don't think God causes the darkness and brokenness, yeah. mm-hmm. but but he can take that raw material and just like a farmer, like he puts everything to use, right? So it's it's like manure makes compost and, and that makes things grow. So I do really believe that, but, but because we've been so... Um, 
influenced, all of us, I think, have been influenced to some extent, in the West at least, by the um, prosperity gospel. Mm. When I say God protects us, at some, even subconscious level, we think that means like God doesn't keep, God keep will keep bad things from happening to us. Mm. And mm-hmm. it's just not true. It's not mm. true. And I say this in the book over and over again, like we cannot trust God to keep bad things from happening to us. So yeah. how do we trust God? And I think yeah. there's there can be some pushback on that if like, no, 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 no. But like, if it happens to us, then it must not be ultimately bad because if we knew what mm-hmm. God knew, yeah. we would choose it too. But I don't like that trick because because I yeah. actually think it takes yeah. away the ability to say, no, this was bad. This is not how things are supposed to be. We're not supposed to bury children. We're not supposed to endure ab- abuse. We're not supposed to mm-hmm. um, have uh, injustice or, or profound poverty. Or and, and I think we need to be able mm-hmm. to name those things as bad. Um, mm-hmm. and so, um, so I, I don't like the rhetorical trick of sort of like, but ultimately, but I, because I do yeah. think God, j- j- um, calls a spade a spade and that, and that is very Texas sort of saying of God, but in that he, Jesus weeps at the face of death, right? When Lazarus dies and, and I, and he knew, he knew that he was about to have this resurrection of, of Lazarus, right? A, 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 a resuscitation would be a better word of, of Lazarus. But, um, and yet he, yet he stopped and wept. And there's all kind of, so lots of theologians say, you know, what was that about? Was that about Jesus entering our grief? Was that a, what, why did he stop and weep there was there was there sort of ceremonial reasons for that and i think yes all of the above it is about jesus entering our grief but i also think that it was that jesus that because the word there used in scripture is like almost animalistically moved i mean he it was Mm -hmm. like grunting like a horse is the is the kind of like overwhelming like um uh, it, it wasn't like Jesus shed a, few, a, a stoic tear. It was mm. he lost it, and it in an animalistic way, mm. and it almost in 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 the sense of groaning, um, and and deep sort of embodied wailing. And mm. so, what was that about? And I think at least part of that is that Jesus was looking at the reality of the power of death. Not just that his friend stopped breathing, mm-hmm. but like what Tom, Tom Long calls capital D death, the power of, mm-hmm. ev- of, of genocide, the power of betrayal, the power of brokenness. And he, he was about to resuscitate his friend, but he, he could not take away the ultimate power of death except through his own death and resurrection. And so um, mm-hmm. I think what I'm saying is God himself didn't make light of the power of death or didn't say, you know, it's all right. Like, don't worry guys. I'm about to raise Lazarus, you know, like everyone cheer up. Like I'm about to do a miracle here. There, there was this real sort of entering into the fullness of how actually broken and, and, mm-hmm. and in, um, and and just brutal uh, life is, and and mm. and 
and life after the fall is. And so, um, so I know I'm not saying A, B, C, D, E on the thing. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> shocked. I'm totally shocked. I'm totally shocked. I'm going to take your multiple choice question and turn it into an essay question. So, yeah, totally. Um, so by the book, by, yeah. so I guess um, exactly. by the book. F would be none of the above. Buy my book for more explanation. Buy my, my book, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I, th- I think where I find an issue with, I mean, there's issues. This is, Of course, this is a complicated question. But w- w- when I think of it, practically is like you know you you take the the hand of your kid or take the hand of your of your spouse or you're just sitting alone in your bed and you pray for your especially during covid right for for God to protect your mother for God to take care of her for to, to, for if he, if she gets covid uh, for that not to be fatal you pray for protection for you for when your kids go to school and practically when you pray for those things what do you expect God is going to do you just hope that God is going to you know you know, stop uh, your kid from running into the street or stop your kid when, like, what in your imagination, what do you expect God to do when you're asking God for protection? Knowing, you know, it's because, you know, those doubts, like, it's, it's, it's God going to really stop? Should I, should I even pray for protection knowing that it's not guaranteed that God's going to, you know, send a legion of angels? You're, what does your mind go to when you pray those sorts of prayers, protection prayers? Or whatever? Yeah, I mean, um, so honestly, uh, I feel like <laughs> the more I sort of grow in the Christian life, the, um, more wary I am of putting, of trying to predict God, um, yeah. or putting expectations on what God mm. will do. I, I think God is all good but very unpredictable. And, um, and so in terms of expectation, we can expect what God promises that, um, he, Jesus will make all things new. I think we expect that. I think we can expect that Jesus will meet us, um, that he will be with us always. I think that, um, we can expect um, that there is no place of brokenness that God has not already descended into and meets us in. Mm. Uh, and I mm. think that we can expect that all things will work to our good and to God's glory. I think, yeah. um, I think that is an okay thing to expect. But in terms of, I, I talk about this in the book a little bit in Prayer in the Night. Um, there's this... I, I actually kind of find this hilarious, but I there in the in I think it's the fifteen it's one of the early ones, sixteen sixty-two book of common prayer, fifteen, fifty-nine, something. I always get the dates confused. But uh um in the, one of the earliest uh books of common prayer, and this is some I this is sometimes still followed today in parts, they the it's this gorgeous prayer for the sick. Um that and it it actually ca- like calls on miracle stories. So we would talk about raising. Mm-hmm. Je- you're praying for the sick that God would um, heal them, and that like as God healed Peter's mother-in-law, as God raised Jairus's daughter, and there's these pictures mm-hmm. of profound miraculous healing that God would heal the sick person, 
So you pray, pray, pray that. This is like instructions to priest. And then it stops and says, at this point, the priest asks the sick person if they have made their will and make sure that they've made their will before they die. <laughs> and so, it's like, oh, it's like no. what? Like, what yeah. just happened? Because it's this, they're like praying for this healing and then literally Dang. saying, go get the will ready. And I say in the right. book, it's because, you know, a lot of people that got sick in the 16th and 17th century died, right? Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and so that this isn't I said and I say this in the book too this isn't like the skeptics this was this this was the actual prayer book of the church this wasn't like um mm. the skeptics that didn't believe in miracles they they were praying from so the actual teaching of the church was pray for miraculous healing and then ready your will um yeah. And so mm. that's this weird tension we live in is that I actually do think we should pray mm. for healing, pray for protection, pray for, I don't, you know, that you get an A on your test, whatever. Like pray for those mm. things and actually believe that God can bring miraculous healing. And I, I think mm-hmm. we need, because we also live in a really skeptical culture that can right. kind, kind of yep. deny God's mm-hmm. work at all. So I, I mean, I, as a pastor and as a person, I have seen, I have witnessed unexplained healing, miraculous yeah, healing. Totally. I, in the yeah. last year, had a friend whose doctor said, your son's alive and there's no medical explanation. There's a miracle. So, mm. um, so you pray for healing and you believe that, but you, we just can't, we, ultimately we say with Jesus, thy will be done. And so, um, we live in this tension of praying for healing, but getting the will ready, right? Of of really mm-hmm. knowing that um, we ask God the things we want and need out of obedience. But Jesus himself wanted and needed to not die on the cross, to let this cup mm-hmm. pass from him. And then he said, thy will be done mm-hmm. and submitted to the will of God. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's not, I mean, that's not uh, like news. Most of us know this. But I, I do want to just say that I think, therefore, so what's prayer for then? If we, in light of that, if God's going to do what God's going to do. Mm-hmm. So I think a few things. One, I think we pray in part because it is communion with God. Like ultimately yeah, yeah. prayer isn't about a specific mm. result or no. because, because I yeah. really recommend things like silent prayer and praying the Psalms and which don't necessarily have like a particular result. But I think no. um, we step into communion with God and we are shaped by prayer, whatever happens. But I also think God actually uses our prayers. I, I think mm. g- God brings healing sometimes miraculously, sometimes through doctors, right? Through very yeah. kind of normal and, ordinary means but that prayer is just is like that prayer is an Mm. ordinary means of god working in the world so prayer is does change things and i think we can we can trust that and believe that but at the at the same time know that god is wild and free he's not bound by um the things he's not a fairy he's not as dawkins Mm. calls you know god Mm. a sky fairy and I say in the book, like, if that's the case, like, he's not a very good one, right? Because every yeah, yeah. <laughs> every Christian I know has prayed and prayed for yeah. certain things that 
that haven't happened. And so mm-hmm. uh, yeah. though that's actually in some ways where prayer becomes interesting because it's not just sort mm. of calling down our, our, you know, fictitious divine Santa Claus, but it's actually entering in to the, mm. a, the, a real relationship with an unpredictable and wild, ever loving and ever free God and saying, where are you in this? Why aren't you healing? Can you come heal? Mm. What, like, come, we need you, right? And then, mm. and having to walk with God through whatever that ends up looking like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it makes me think of you know, kind of this kind of interplay of we're trusting God and we're doing things. Is kind of in Nehemiah, you know, we prayed to the Lord and posted a guard to meet the threat. You know, like it's kind of like there is this, like we trust and we know and we're going to do stuff, you know, like it is and we're going to, but we're going to trust. And as you say, God's presence in it all is actually what actually God is cultivating us is the awareness that God is present um, regardless of, of kind of, as you say, this kind of desired or specific outcome, but that actually God is is present. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So Tisha, Tish, um, you've, you know, as we were saying, you write a book and then everyone asks you about it, you know, whether it's making your bed or what else. But are you, so grief would be one of those things. Are you, are you just tired of, of talking, talking about, about grief? grief? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, so my answer is not yet, but the book is, it only came out in January. So I, <laughs> yeah, right. I this is part, this is a note to writers actually anyone who's listening, is that I, you do, I learned this through liturgy. So, uh, an, an older, more accomplished writer told me this before I wrote my first book, and I'm so glad they did, is they said, you better be really sure that you care about this topic because you are going to be talking about it for at least five years. Time. And yeah. if your book does well, mm. I mean, I'm going to be talking about making my bed for, uh, <laughs> like, maybe for the rest of my life. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> And liturgy of the ordinary. So if you, if the book does well, you really end up talking about it for a long time. And um, and so, um, so before I read a book, I think, do I care about this enough to, to talk yeah. about this for yeah. a long time? Do I want to keep talking? If about not, this? I should just write. I have a column for CT. I should just put it in a column or put it in a <laughs> yeah, exactly. Put it in a blog post, and then every now and then someone will. I I have had a podcast where they're like, let's talk about this column and for an hour, and I'm like, dude, the reason I wrote a column is because like that's all I had to say is those yeah, hundred words. Like, <laughs> but, yeah. It doesn't get much deeper than that. <laughs> yeah. But with a book, there there is this like, okay, do I want to walk into this for for years of my life? And I. I, when I started writing Prayer in the Night, this is a whole other story, but I felt like I didn't want to. And I told God I do not want to write this mm-hmm. book. And I, I felt mm-hmm. like I had mm-hmm. to for various reasons. But mm-hmm. one of the reasons, as I said, I don't have it in me to hear. I know how this goes. Yeah. And if I put a book on about loss and grief, I'm going to hear everybody's worst moment of their life. And yeah, I totally. I like yeah. don't know if I can handle it pastorally. I don't yeah. know if the anxiety of that is going to be difficult to hear everybody's totally. stories of loss. But I felt like I should do it. And the, here's what's been really amazing. And this is kind of what God knew, and I didn't before I wrote this book because I sort of wrote it anyway, is that I do hear stories of grief. 
But what I didn't expect is that I hear these stories of redemption of grief, mm. like all the mm-hmm. time. So right. people tell me about these things that happened to them, but they also tell me how God was in the midst of it, how they have found life on the other side of it, how they mm. how they have learned to grieve in ways that mm-hmm. have like cracked them open to life and joy in, in a way that... They hadn't. So I'm not saying everyone's like putting a smiley face on things, but I am saying I was so scared of the thing of what you're talking about. And it, but what I wasn't expecting is how much, how much beauty there is in, Mm -hmm. in those stories. And I am, I'm a pastor. So there, I, there is a part of me that just sort of is honored by getting to be let into those things. And, um, but so I do, I hear like, I in I was afraid of hearing stories of grief, but I've I've heard much more stories of God's presence in grief than I expected, right. and so yeah. it's actually made me less afraid because yeah. I hear these stories mm-hmm. and think, well, God met them still, like they they're they're survived, yeah. they yeah. survived mm-hmm. and are thriving, and so there um there's actually been some hopefulness in that. Yeah. And I wanted to yeah. say lastly, particularly during this year, I, I, yeah. it's a gift to me that God three years ago or led me to start writing this book because it released in this hard, crazy year of COVID yeah. in such a timely, I mean, the book deals with sickness and mortality yeah. and yeah. nighttime, which people have struggled with and anxiety around that and loneliness and all of these things that are, seem super relevant and super mm. timely mm. in a way that I just could have never known when I started writing the book. I, th- I think I signed in 2018 for this book. So, um, so it's actually been, it's been pretty great for me to mm. have this mm. in this. Uh, I, it's possible what I'd really like you to do is ask my friends if they're tired of me telling them <laughs> to feel the loss and make space yeah, right. for grief. Because I, I feel like I feel like people, uh, my husband's like, it's been a bad day. And I'm like, let, I want you to take, let's feel that. Let's explore yeah. that. Let's be curious like, about no, our own grief. I don't want to. He's like, can I, just have a, can I just have a beer and just yeah, chill yeah. out? Right? Exactly. <laughs> let's not talk about it. it. Yeah. <laughs> Tish, just just a quick question, Tish. What do you do right after you listen to a terrible story that might have a redeeming ending or just not not quite yet? What do you do? Like once you hear that, how do you what do you do afterwards? Because because a lot of a lot of those stories can really you know pile up, and if you don't do something yeah. afterwards with it, you just yeah you just become a wreck. Like what do you do after 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 listening to a pretty bad story? Yeah. So a few things. Uh, number one, I, I pray for the person. Yeah. I also have times of silence and journaling built into my day every day. And I would have, I would lose my mind without them. I, I really would. And, I, and that's hard. I have three kids, but my husband and I mm-hmm. both do. And so we sort of both have to sacrifice. So the other person has some space for that. It's not hours and hours. It's not like the monastic ideal. It's just sort of like <laughs> when we can, um, and it's not always. But but having 
for me, silence to sit with God with all of that and see sort of what's coming up in me and, and journaling have been really helpful practices in that. Um, the other thing I'd say is that it's just such a different experience. Like, I I think we all, and, and I in particular, because I'm answering this question, but all of us have to be pretty careful, I think, about our disaster intake um, online. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because we've put ourselves in this place where we can hear almost endless stories online of death, destruction, injustice, brokenness. And there's so little we can do about it because we don't know these these are not embodied. This isn't a person sitting across the table from us. This isn't an embodied Mm. relationship. We can't, Mm. we can't put our arm around someone or, or, Mm. or know their face or pray for them by name. So we, I'm not saying, I mean, I've prayed for people who I know are struggling that I know from Twitter. So I'm not saying that's never appropriate, but I, I do think um, uh, we, it, we can just be really overwhelmed by the brokenness in the world if, if, if we're just consuming lots of that online. Yeah. In particular, because it's more often that we share the darkness than, hey, I had a really happy, good cup of coffee today or when you do it comes yeah. off as like instagrammy and and yeah, shallow totally. and mm. um so i think there is what i'm saying is i think it's easier for me to cope with what you're talking about when um when you when it's in embodied actual real life and community um and relationships mm-hmm. well, e- yeah. even when i'm speaking at a conference and someone comes up and talks to me afterwards that's easier than it than when it's when it's all sort of digital and yeah. it can be overwhelming marva yeah. dawn talks about i think she gets this from neil postman but that she calls it a low information to action ratio that makes us mm. l-i-a-r spells liars but the mm. idea is that we we there was a time when we had very little information about the world very little information about if there was you know the kind of suffering that was happening in across the country or in another mm-hmm. state but we had a high ability to respond to the information we yeah. had like that if if i knew that my next door neighbor had cancer i have a high ability to respond to that by making a casserole or doing something mm. like that she said now it's the inverse we have a huge amount of information about mm. the world particularly the disasters in the world or the brokenness in the world or there was a murder in kansas city or you know and but I have almost no ability to meaningfully respond to that brokenness. And mm-hmm. so yeah. it trains you in kind of hearing horrors that you don't take action on because we right. are yes. used to that. And so it, and I That's also so think it's, it's emotionally overwhelming. And so, mm-hmm. so I think we just have to be careful of that. I mean, we can't, the toothpaste is out of the tube. There's not, we can't, but, but in terms of our social media intake, it's actually very helpful to it's it's easier to to respond to have lower information but uh, but higher re- ability Response. to yeah. respond meaningfully mm. to the brokenness in your life around mm-hmm. you yeah. so yeah and thank you Tish. that was freaking gold like, sorry 
<laughs> no, no, you go. I, I was just complimenting her. That was freaking gold. A lifesaver no, for so many say, people listening. It's almost like the um, when you've got this kind of inverse relationship between those things and you've got all this information, you're actually paralyzed from even doing the small responsive thing because you're like, I'm too overwhelmed yeah. by everything. I, I'll do nothing. So that's so yeah. true. Yeah. That's so yeah. right. Yeah. And it, so it's, it's sort of like actually in order to respond meaningfully, if, because that's what I want to do, I actually need to stop or like limit or, you know, monitor that the information intake so that I'm actually able to respond meaningfully to the things that are close that I can actually respond to and, rather and, than being tired and overwhelmed by it all. Right, exactly. So that so that our emotions don't get overloaded, but also so that we don't end up training ourselves in, in action is a habit, right? And yeah. so we can train ourselves in that by mm-hmm. taking in lots of information that then paralyzes us. And so yeah. Yeah. Um, we can retrain ourselves to sort of respond uh, to what's around us. But but it, it does require, I think, limiting the information we have about horrors and atrocities that we can do nothing about. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, totally. Oh, Tish, we could talk Tish. for hours. But you've got a low-grade fever and, you know, small children and a job. I, and I feel like this conversation must have been medicinal, medicinal conversation with you because yes. I'm feeling a little better. That's exactly oh, what so the reason podcast <laughs> That could be your byline, medicinal exactly. conversation. Exactly. <laughs> medicinal conversation. With Tish Harrison Warren. This is perfect. Yeah, it's like, it's like then it's the kind of, it's the reversal. It's like it's been medicinal for you. It'll be medicinal for people. Oh, it's just like, it's just beautiful. Mutuality, reciprocity. Um, Tish, thanks so much for your time. It's yeah. been great chatting Thank you so you. much. Thank great you. to meet you. Great to talk to you. Good to meet totally. you too. Good to meet yeah. you too. Enjoy the rest of your day. And um, I'm, I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> do that. Do that. Please do. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Regent College podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit rgnt.net. That is rgnt.net.